Hello and welcome. My name is Rosie Goldsmith. I'm director of the European Literature Network. I'm a journalist, broadcaster and presenter of the Europe Reader podcast. Audio conversations with riveting authors from across Europe, part of our riveting interview series. You may already know my nickname, Rosie the Riveter, and our magazine, The Riveter, as well as our riveting reviews and riveting interviews. They're all dedicated to giving European writers the prominence they deserve. In this special podcast series, the European Literature Network is teaming up with Europe Reader, a groundbreaking digital platform initiated by the Slovenian Presidency of the EU Council with the support of EU member states and EU institutions. Our joint motto is open a book for a better future. And our goal is to tackle the main topic of our times, the future of living. Through events and podcasts like these, we want to get readers everywhere, exchanging ideas, reflecting on the kind of world we want to live in and how literature and books can help. Find out more about Europe Reader by logging on to their website, europereader.eu. You can also read free books from each featured author in each EU member state on the website, both in the original language and in English translation. There are novels, short stories, poetry, comics, essays, and some really beautiful picture books for younger readers. Each riveting Europe reader interview is dedicated to one author. And today, I'd like to introduce you to the Italian author, Tiziano Fratus. Tiziano, buongiorno, buongiorno. Come stai? Va bene? Buongiorno, good morning. Molto bene. (laughs) Grazie, grazie. Tiziano, where are you at the moment? Where is your home? I am in the north of Italy, uh, in a little village uh, not so far from Turin. If I look at your biography and how much you've written, you've written 10 collections of poetry, I think, and and several books of essays you've published, you've travelled all over Italy, all over the world, and you're described as a poet, a photographer, a traveller, a walker, a publisher, and a tree seeker. Now, how would you describe yourself? Are they all true descriptions of you, Tiziano? But I prefer not these words that are obviously noble words, but uh, another idea that I have coined uh, some years ago, meditating uh, in the forest of uh, sequoias in California. And there uh, I wrote a poem that I titled Uomo Radice, Uh, I have uh, this uh, particular surname, Fratus, uh, that is uh, in Latin. So sometimes I I don't know why, but uh, I feel uh, an impossible um, desire to to use the Latin also in the title of the poem. So I title this poem Homo Radix, Homo Radice. I think in English it could sound as uh, root man. Omo Radice, Omo Radix, and it does translate. It does translate as root man, absolutely. So you prefer to call yourself a root man. What does that mean? A root man is a person working uh, and trying to create connections, uh, emotional connections with uh, what we call nature. So the nature, in my case, uh, above all, are the giant trees, uh, ancient uh, forests, uh, this is uh, the place I 
I used to, to visit uh, quite every day and where I, I find uh, my new roots. When I was uh, around 30 years old, uh, I lost my, my natural family. So uh, probably the words, the, uh, the imagination, I don't know exactly what happened, but I'm sure that this, this kind of concept, the homo radix, l'uomo radice, became my new identity. So uh, I began to visit uh, great trees, uh, to take photographs of them, and uh, also to, to pass a lot of time. And I start to, to think that they are like uh, old friends, like uh, parents. My family in this time, in these last uh, 20 years, are the trees, are the forest, uh, and uh, obviously my writing uh, began to work a lot in this direction, to try to describe the connections, all the possibility uh, of connections between the human and the, the natural way of life. When I look at your biography, it tells me that you were born in Bergamo, in northern yes. Italy, in 1975. But what you've just told me is that this big turning point in your life happened when you were about 30. So did your family die when you say you lost your natural family? What happened? They are alive, but uh, they are out completely of my life uh, and I am out of their life. So it's quite the same because uh, sometimes uh, it's not easy to explain, but sometimes there are... uh, parental uh, connections that die. When you were younger, did you already love nature and trees and walking? Yes, yes. I I was always a lone person. I need every day a lot of time for myself, for my silence, for my walk, uh, for the writing. People can't see you because this is an audio podcast, but I have to describe you a little bit because you look a little bit like a tree. (laughs) (laughs) I want. I want to hug Thank you. you very much. You look very cozy and comfortable, an oak. and yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like like an oak tree, absolutely. So let's talk about Italy because you've travelled throughout the whole of Italy from top to bottom, yes. and you've gone through the forests and the woods, and you've walked through all these wonderful places in Italy. And Italy is a huge country. So when did you start and how do you approach your walks and your meditations? Italy is not so, so big, you know. Obviously, after you, if you think about the North America or the Russia or China, I don't know, Australia, these are big countries. Italy is a little country, but it's full of landscape. It's full of cities, of culture, of churches, of gardens, 38% of Italy is covered by woods and forests. So there are many places to visit. And I try to, to select the place where I could pass part of my time, above all, to visit particular trees or woods or forests. These are my landmarks, what I'm looking for. My approach is uh, simple. I go there, I thank them, the trees and the... You ask the trees for permission to 
And yes, to... every time I want to stay with them if it's possible. Is a situation in which I can meditate or I can visit them without carry all my human presumption. Your 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 worries, your concerns, your yes, uh, absolutely. Your... So when you talk to the trees and you spend time with them, I imagine you talk to them in Italian. <laughs> no, I don't use words. I <laughs> in this. Uh, I, in this, I what uh, put together the trees and me is the silence, not the words, absolutely not the words, not the ideas, but the silence. This primitive silence that put together all the things existing in the universe. For me, it's important this. Trees don't tell me nothing. For me, the meeting with trees is a, a silence meeting. We stay together in that place uh, to join our inner silence. Tiziano, when you're in the forest, do you have a tent? Do you sleep there? Do you spend a long time in the forests? Sometimes, but I prefer to go to stay some hour or one day and come back. I need to have a solid house where to, to come back. You're quite practical about returning home and... Yes, I am, I am. The comforts of home. Where do you do your writing? Do you write in the forest or do you write at home? Above all at home, but uh, when I am around, obviously I use a lot of notebooks. I want to, to write down the words in the old manner, in the old style. Do you ever walk through the forest with other people? Yes, I, I do. And uh, sometimes uh, the festival, at least here in Italy, Ask, ask me to, to stay with people in the forest, in the woods, or in the historical gardens, in the botanical gardens sometimes also. So I stay in town and obviously in the, in the wild with persons to, to read poems, to meditate together around trees or near a lake, near a cascade, I don't know. A waterfall. A waterfall, yes, yeah, sorry. So you take guided tours of um, readers, walkers with you. You're asked sometimes by festivals and yes. um, towns to do this through gardens as well. It sounds like a wonderful thing to do. What are you hoping to achieve? Are you trying to convert us all into tree lovers? Are you trying to save the world in some way? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> this is not my job. <laughs> The opportunity to save the world, the planet, uh, is not in my horizon. I'm not sure that they could find the real uh, solutions. Are you concerned about the climate crisis? And when you hear what is going on, do you feel that your work has even more significance now? I don't think so. It's not my idea. It's not my point of view. When people read your poetry and your, your novels and your writing and they listen to you, they do see you as somebody who can give them guidance, a, a philosopher of nature. Is that a role that you like? Yes. Philosopher is a, is a strong word. No, it's a strong identity to be a philosopher. I prefer for myself Homo radics because it's not so, it's not so serious. <laughs> the root so, man, uh, the root man. 
But you have followers. You have people who believe in yes, you. Yes, and it happens, but it's not my target. You know, with the um, Europe Reader Project, with this wonderful project that is going on at the moment with um, European literature, there is this discussion about whether literature and books can help create a, a better world. Do you think that your writing and literature in general can do that? I, yes, I think that uh, my writing, but above all, all uh, the good writing is useful for every person uh, that want to put uh, to to invest part of his time uh, to read uh, to understand uh, to think about things that are probably out of their lives so for me a book is a good book if someone read it and uh, understand something or feel in a new way something little things not not big uh, solutions or big uh, big things because i think that every person know exactly what is opportune to do or not i uh, discussing with other poets with uh, other buddhists uh, here in italy for example a lots of persons thinks that the the humans are wrong that the people are wrong they don't understand they don't see they don't believe uh, the urgency to do this or that. I don't think this is a, a correct way to think about the other persons. I don't know why, but sometimes the intellectuals don't have uh, trust in the other persons. Tiziana, what do you like to read? I can see behind you your bookshelves are absolutely full packed with one book over another crammed together what are you reading i like different things uh, i have the period no you know like the painter that have the red period or the pink period i don't know <laughs> what period in past, are you in at the moment in this moment i'm in the buddhist uh, in the zen buddhist moment so i, I read a lot of books about uh, old uh, ancient uh, and contemporary masters of, uh, of the Buddhism and above all the Zen Buddhism. There are different schools, there are different solutions, different uh, important masters uh, and, uh, and traditions. So I have to read a lot of books about nature, obviously, about all uh, from the environmental uh, new voices uh, to the, the old uh, thinkers uh, in the past. Is there a similar trend in publishing in Italy to what we have here, which is uh, nature writing. Yes, there are. And uh, the most important one of the three, four, lots of uh, novels, for example, uh, gave more importance to the landscape, to the relationship between, between the protagonist and uh, what we call the landscape, what we call the nature, in different ways, obviously. There are so many different uh, feelings and approaches. Today, nature is became uh, a great, important voice uh, in the geography of the Italian uh, literature. Do Italians love nature? Are they good environmentalists? Yes, they are. From it's uh, it's a long story. We are, uh, I don't know in England, but we have uh, here a saint called San Francesco, Saint Francis. You know that uh, some years ago. <laughs> 
<laughs> many years ago. <laughs> so, many years ago, uh, decided to stay more in the woods than uh, in the society of the humans. So uh, we have a long tradition of uh, uh, listening the nature, of trying to find a new roots and new identity in the relationship with the nature. And this is similar for many, many Italians. I, yesterday I was in Liguria to make a new article for, about uh, some uh, trees. And uh, after I met a person, a journalist, that uh, now she lives uh, in, uh, in this little garden house. But before she lived uh, for 30 years uh, in Milan when uh, she was a, a journalist for one of the most important Italian newspapers. So there are many people that uh, decide to leave the city, to leave the society, the formal society, and uh, prefer to stay in a more radical uh, and simple life. Let's have a closer look at your work, um, which is our Europe, Europe Reader selected book, which is called Ogni Albero in Poeta, Every Tree is a poet. It's a fantastic title. This is a novel, is it? It's a book of meditations. It's a series of encounters. How would you describe it? A puzzle. A puzzle. <laughs> a puzzle. N not so <laughs> strong a definition, but the, the, the publishing house uh, tried to sell it like a novel, but uh, it's not a novel. Or is a novel in a, in a contemporary way, in a contemporary conception. So there is a character, a man called Silvano, that uh, decides to leave his home and to go to, to stay for a period in the woods. This character decides to stay there, not to become more human, but because uh, he needed to take distance with all the life he is doing. So go there, and uh, sometimes the description of what he do in the woods uh, gives space to other solutions, to other situations. So you have your protagonist, who is called Silvano, and yes. of course that's from the Latin for um, for the yes, woods. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of wordplay, which is really really wonderful, very beautiful as well. And then. Uh, so Silvano has these encounters, um, these thoughts, which are triggered by the trees and by the rest of nature. What is the end result for Silvano? What does he want to discover by the end of the, the novel? He tries to understand, but he is not sure to understand something. It's a, an experiment for himself, first of all. So Silvano gives up everything, all the comforts of he suspended, every everyday He suspended every, everything of his life. He could do, but he decided to do it. And to leave all the persons he know, and to go there to stay. But he, don't, he doesn't understand how long, for what reason. There is nothing to find. Is Silvano at the end of the novel? Is he a happy man? Is he a, is he happier than he was before? He tired. He's tired. <laughs> yes, a lot, because <laughs> to to live in the wild, you know, is completely not not comfortable. <laughs> it's beautiful for me. Is uh, things that I have to do 
quite every day. But it's not easy to stay there only to relax because nature is not only relaxing. Nature is also fighting, is surviving. The way you describe man, human beings, becoming more connected with trees, this idea of a tree being a poet or a poet being a tree, it's, it's obviously on the surface very abstract, but it's also for you a concrete goal to become closer to trees, closer to nature. Is that correct? Yes, I, I think it's correct. Shall we have a reading from the book too? We've got some extracts here and we've chosen one extract to read. And this is on the Europe Reader website. Tiziano is going to read in Italian and then I'll read the English straight after. And it's called in English, The Night Disrobed. And in Italian, Tiziano? La notte svestita. Pennellata dopo pennellata, milioni di occhi e miliardi di creature assistono al lento e montante manifestarsi di una svestizione colossale. La lingua della natura ha l'armonia del latino e l'esattezza del tedesco. Il sole non si è ancora rigenerato, ma il cielo si preannuncia a Oriente. La notte è spaccata e gioca d'anticipo. Prepara il sentiero per il re che sta per nascere. E noi? Noi siamo lì sotto nell'abitacolo minuto del respiro. Sbirciamo, ipotizziamo e ossigeniamo il sangue di speranze e grandiose visioni. Tutto è possibile ad un certo punto dell'alba. Il pensiero giace silenzioso, come la mano del contadino che è certo che la primavera sta per risvegliare la sua terra. Siamo nuove creature deposte in The Night Disrobed. It's been translated by Gail McDowell. One brushstroke after another, millions of eyes and billions of creatures observe this slow and mounting manifestation of a colossal disrobing. The language of nature has the harmony of Latin and the precision of German. The sun has yet to regenerate itself, but the sky is heralded to the east. The night is cloven. It's ahead of the game. It prepares the way for the king who is about to be born. And we, we are there below, inside the tiny cockpit of our breathing. We peer and hypothesize and oxygenate the blood of hope and grandiose visions. Everything is possible at a certain point of the dawn. Thought lies as silent as the hand of the farmer who is certain that springtime is about to reawaken his land. We are new creatures laid in a nest of branches and dry leaves. The lion has just awoken and advances through the savanna to hunt. The weeks old zebra releases the tension of his first buck of the day as he probes the flavor of the air with his muzzle. The cities reactivate themselves and the vault is populated by a forest of maybes, of intentions and good resolutions or bad ones, depending. The birds of paradise begin to run through the scores of their classical universal repertory. Symphonies, military marches, solfeggi, solos, the entire band in full force. 
There isn't a single dawn during which nature doesn't rephrase the entire concert from the first note to the last. The sun begins to display its new gown. As soon as it's abandoned the line of the horizon, it hangs grand and furious, ardent and flaming. It looks straight into our eyes for a few instants, blinding us. God dwells in those centimeters of universe. As it begins to rise, it loses intensity and the four cardinal points cancel each other out. The east joins the west. The south embraces the north. The time has come to get up and have breakfast, hands that begin to choose. Oh, it's just fantastic writing. I feel <laughs> bigger you. and Thank grander you. and happier and fuller having read that out. It's wonderful. Tiziana, I really, really hope that if there is any God in the world, that the God will be listening and will want more of your writing translated into English. We need it. We need it. It's we'll just see. wonderful. We'll see. It's just wonderful. I also, before we close, I have one quote, which is from your writing, which I would like to read, because having spent this time with you now and you know, seen you, this big oak tree, <laughs> and got to know you a little bit, this is what I think is a great tribute to you. Um, and it goes like this in English. Like a tree, I have a bark that thickens every year. Like every tree that follows the rhythm of the seasons, I am reborn in spring. I put out new buds, new leaves, new flowers. I expand in summer and autumn before I strip myself and go back to being only a hollow root in winter. Um, it's been wonderful spending time with my Omo Radix, my um, root man, um, Tiziana Fratus. Thank you so much. And thanks to you. Thanks to you, Rosie. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you again to Tiziana Fratus in Italy. My name is Rosie Goldsmith, and thank you for listening to today's riveting interview podcast dedicated to those riveting European authors participating in the Europe Reader Project. You can follow Tiziana Ferratus and all the authors and read their books for free on the Europe Reader website. You can access all our riveting interviews, past and present, on the European Literature Network website. This is a special riveting interview podcast for Europe Reader. Thank you for listening. 